0: Welcome to Dat Elyon Podcast. My name is Yoel Glick, and I am the director of Dat a Center for Jewish Meditation and Spiritual Training in the Holy City of Jerusalem. We are delighted to bring you these podcasts that explore new ways of looking at ancient traditions in the light of modern spirituality. We hope they will open your mind and expand your heart. Topic of today's podcast is forgiveness. If I have done any wrong towards my parents, my teachers, my elders, to anybody in the past by thought, by deed, by word, consciously or unconsciously, may I be forgiven. If anybody has done wrong to me, if they have cultivated a grudge or complained or accused or offended by thought, by deed, by word, I forgive him completely. This is a prayer that's used before starting the Buddhist metta, loving-kindness meditation. Master of the universe, I hereby forgive anyone who has angered or vexed me or sinned against me, either physically or financially, against my honor or anything else that is mine whether accidentally or intentionally, inadvertently or deliberately, by speech or by deed, in this incarnation or in any other, may no human being be punished on my account. May it be your will, Lord my God and God of my fathers, that I shall sin no more or repeat my sins Neither shall I again anger you nor do what is wrong in your eyes. The sins I have committed erase in your abounding mercies, but not through suffering or severe illness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you, O Lord, my strength, my Redeemer, part of the Jewish prayer before retiring at night. We say to err is human and to forgive is divine. In this respect, we all know how to be human. How do we learn to express our divine nature in our lives? This is not a simple question, and there is not a simple answer. And it really covers a whole unfolding path of transforming our nature and inculcating higher aspects of divine attributes and virtues into our being. And in a way, it lays out the journey of our souls. We begin with the most basic level of controlling our lowest animal instincts. And the Ten Commandments give us a clear direction in this regard. We shall not murder, we shall not commit adultery, we shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you should not covet your neighbor's house, you should not covet your neighbor's wife or husband, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is your neighbor's. So these commandments teach us to overcome our primitive animal passions. And we all have instincts. And the first step in our spiritual evolution is to learn how to restrain them. This is the beginning of the path to awakening the divine spark that is within us all. Now we call this the beginning of the path. But it's also an incredible challenge, a struggle that continues over our whole lifetime and through many incarnations, because we're working to counter deep instincts that are engraved in our psyche and our body itself. To really change our behavior and master our lower emotions, we need to acknowledge the enormity of the task before us. Only by seeing the work with clarity and making a constant and intentional decision to change, will the desired transformation occur. One day at a time, one step at a time, moving forward, Backward, and then we finding our footing once again and continuing on with our efforts. Each tiny bit of control, each small shift in our behavior is a tremendous victory and another brick in this spiritual task. Now, once we begun to get our lower instincts under control, we move on to the next stage of this spiritual process. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18, it declares one of the central teachings of the Torah. And it's found in fact it's found right at the center of the Torah, literally. Love your neighbor as yourself. And with this commandment, we're moving beyond the Ten Commandments because we're being asked to go beyond our self-centered awareness and think about the needs and feelings of others. We're being told to give of ourselves to other people, to care for their well-being, as much as we care for our own. And this step is crucial for the development of our heart center as we've been talking over these weeks and the inculcation of the virtue of compassion in us. In Many ways the div- expansion of our heart lies at the center of human development the truth is that most of us are preoccupied with our own needs and our own desires. It's the desire for wealth and power, the desire for attention and love, or even the yearning for God. Getting beyond ourselves takes effort. Feeling for others does not come easy to us. And this is why the opening of the Heart Center is considered in spiritual teaching to be the great moment of transformation and awakening. We take a look at the life of our forefather, Jacob. See, he spent his early life dwelling in the tent, it says, focused on his inner musings while striving to wrestle the birthright from his brother, Esau plotting with his mother and deceiving his elderly father in order to get what he wants. It's only after many years of suffering and struggle when he's faced with losing everyone that is dear to him, everything that he has, that he goes through the great spiritual initiation of wrestling with the angel and becoming a different man. His heart center is now open and flowing. He now sees those around him, fullness and clarity. Even his lifetime rival, Esau. And that new vision changes everything. This is the work in front of all of us to go through that powerful inner transformation where everything that is petty and self-centered gets stripped from our being and what's left is a pure instrument of God. To get to that place where we are seeing everyone Everything around us, where we are sensitive to their feelings and their needs, when we are sensitive to their challenges and struggles and love them nonetheless. The book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 17 and 18 states. When your enemy falls, do not rejoice. Lest God turn his wrath from them to you. Okay, now that we've begun to use our heart, we now have to master our mind. And as we've been learning, the mind is a very potent instrument. A state of consciousness affects everything around us. Pathgrabi Nachman says if we have a state of consciousness, then we have everything. And if we don't have a state of consciousness, then no matter what we possess, we have nothing. Our thoughts draw energy to us and emanate that energy back into the world. And that creates our reality. So this proverb is warning us to be careful about what we think. For what we think will determine what we attract to ourselves. If our mind is full of thoughts of love, then love is what we will draw towards us. And if our head is filled with thoughts of revenge and vengeance, then that is what we will receive in turn. Therefore, work we have in front of us is to learn how to let go of our negative feelings towards others and forgive them. Because otherwise, those same feelings will come back to us. Once our heart center is open and we feel for others, our spiritual evolution depends on what is happening in our mind. It's no good doing acts of loving kindness on the outside while walking around with a mind filled with anger and hatred and bitterness within. As the Baal Shem Tov teaches us, you are where your thoughts are. Our thoughts become patterns of thinking. These patterns of thinking in turn become modes of behavior, which finally become ingrained habits. Changing our patterns and our habits is at the center of any real personal transformation. As Rabbi Natan of Nemorev says, all our real battles take place within the mind. The Ethics of the Fathers, chapter 4, verse uh, Mishnah 19, tells us that there was a rabbi who made this teaching the center point of his spiritual life. His name was Rabbi Shmuel Hakatan, the little Shmuel. Tells you already something about his humility and self-perception. All of his life, Rabbi Shmuel strove to feel no animosity towards anyone and to see good in every human being. The tractate Brachot, page 28b, recounts that Shmuel Hakatan was the rabbi who was chosen to compose the extra blessing in the daily standing prayer, the Shmorna Esrei, which means 18, which calls for the destruction of evildoers. Now there's actually 19 blessings, and it was this extra blessing added in the times of the later rabbis that brought it to 19. And they were searching around to think who could possibly help compose this Prayer, because only a pure soul like Shmuel Hakatan could have written such a prayer and still be free of hate and animosity. The author of this prayer is dealing with serious karmic responsibilities. It's in everything we've just said. In order to be able to maintain both a keen awareness of the karmic effects of our words, and at the same time have a constant positive regard for others is not a simple task. And the fact that Shmuel HaKatan could compose this prayer shows us what the fruit of a lifetime of concentrated effort can achieve. Day after day, we strive to inculcate these spiritual values into our being. We relentlessly work on our actions, words, and thoughts until they become an integral part of our character. Until they become our natural mode of expression in life. Then we're ready to contemplate the wrong of others. Then we're prepared to face the real sources of negativity in ourselves and in the world. Now, even though modern scholars now believe that Rabbi Shmuel was not actually the author of this blessing, nonetheless, this Talmudic passage shows us that the rabbis had a deep understanding of the power of words. They understood that people can hear words that they hold on to for the rest of their lives. They understand that words can destroy a relationship of decades in a moment. They understand that words can, be, can lead to conflict and suffering and war. They recognize, therefore, the great need for purity and caution before we ask God to destroy anyone. And also the need for profound capacity for forgiveness. Only someone who can forgive could utter such words. And though we recite this prayer every day, and many similar passages in other prayers and in the Psalms, do we ever really think of the effect of such words? There is so much bitterness, anger, and resentment buried, buried inside each of us sometimes in places we are totally unaware of. And these feelings run deeply into human nature. And the truth is they are quite easily aroused. As we've watched what words of hatred has aroused all over the world and all the wars and suffering and hatred it has caused. Who can take the risk of uttering such prayers? These are not words to be said lightly or used to awaken and strengthen these powerful feelings in ourselves. That's not the purpose of these prayers. These are prayers that need to be said with measured speech and sober mindfulness. Otherwise, the consequences to our state of consciousness, to the internal space in which we live, can be horrific. Otherwise, they can lead us to speak terrible words and commit unthinkable acts. The final stage in the development of forgiveness is the cultivation of love for our enemies. For many of us, especially living here in the Middle East, this might appear to be an impossible objective. It is, after all, quite natural to hate our enemies and want vengeance. To so much pain and suffering and hurt us been undergone by us all. The engine is only a desire for justice to be done. We believe that acts have consequences. If an individual has inflicted suffering upon others, it only seems right for him or her to suffer in turn. However, in the spiritual life, we're not aiming to be natural. In fact, the truth is that the spiritual life is in a natural way of living. As I said before, it's like swimming against the current, about trying to go upstream. The spiritual life is about transforming our lower nature above everything else about going against the grain of what is considered to be natural by others until we are able to experience the sublime awareness of our higher self. That is the state of consciousness that is truly natural for us. To bring this final stage to fulfillment, we need to expand our consciousness beyond its natural limitations. We need to examine our feelings and our motives in greater depth and with a more acute sensitivity. People are more complex and life is more complicated than we usually accept, stay aware of, or want to recognize. Are our own enemies' feelings any different than our own? Are they any less human? We've all experienced moments of great sorrow or rage when we were ready to kill someone If a loved one of ours has been harmed or even threatened, our immediate instinct is to strike back at any cost. Who has not felt the power of intense passion when it fills the body? And we all know how quickly it can take control. Therefore, we need to have compassion for the effect of those feelings on others. We need to reconsider how we think. To overcome the power of these potent emotions, we need to fully acknowledge their hold on all of us. We need to recognize that they are part of the human condition. There's only the rare individual who's beyond their grasp. Therefore, we need to be careful about glidely condemning the outrage of others. We need to walk with humility and show compassion for all human beings. the same time, to love our enemy does not naively assume that people are always good. On the contrary, it recognizes that every human being is capable of doing serious wrong, of creating evil and suffering. We would be fools to think otherwise. Rather, what this spiritual injunction, injunction is asking us to do is to transform our reaction to our enemies. Instead of trying to destroy their lives, it urges us to strive to eradicate the hatred and the evil within us all. This is a crucial idea This injunction to love our enemies is not predicated on a simplistic view of reality. It's a profound response to the truth of our nature. We're taught that we all have a Yetzirah and a Yetzirah Tov, a evil inclination and a good inclination within us. That is an unescapable reality. The question, then, is what part of ourselves do we want to fortify? What part of others will our words and actions reinforce? As the Buddhist teacher Anagarika Sri Menundra has explained, if you do anything good for others, it is good for you. Hatred never ceases through hatred in this world. Through love alone, it ceases. This is an eternal law. There's no American love or Indian love, no difference between the two. The mind is a wonderful force. pervade your whole being with loving thoughts from your pure heart. If you love your enemies, you will have no enemies. This is the only way so you can be helpful to the universe. We begin the process of destroying evil in the world by eradicating the evil in ourself. Inner work is much more powerful than any of us understand. It has an effect on us and on everyone around us. It changes the whole world, it transforms the very air we breathe. Mercy for the frailty of all human beings can imbue us with the wisdom to forgive. And it takes great wisdom to forgive. can help us to let go of our need to balance hurt for hurt, hurt, which is such a strong human desire. All we need to do to accept that every one of us is imperfect. Every one of us is capable of inflicting injury and harm. Once we have internalized the truth of this spiritual perspective, the doorway to forgiveness we open wide for both ourselves and our enemies. This is the work of real peace making. We can't do the work for our enemies, but we can do the work for ourselves. And then we know we're ready to be God's instruments and to do whatever we can to bring peace into our lives and our world. This is such a teaching for this time. None of us really realize the power of forgiveness. The negative energies, it dissipates, the goodwill, it builds. And this is why it is at the center of this whole holy period in the year. It is the gateway to rebirth and renewal. It is the key to letting go of the past and moving into the future. It is the vehicle for the evolution of humankind. If you look at conflicts, you'll see that they're all based. On past grievances. Inability to let go of the past and forgive creates a barrier to change, freedom, and growth. We need to work to remove all those barriers from within us. So the light of God can flow unimpeded through us. The Hasidic master, Mikhailov Zlodachov, suggests a simple way of developing this extraordinary capacity for forgiveness. He believed that the highest form of service we can perform in this world is to pray for our enemies. We cultivate, we cultivate love for our enemies, Rabbi Mikhail explains, by touching on their essential divinity. Remember, every human being was created in the image of God. When we pray for our enemies, it keeps our heart flowing, even as we confront the negative force of their hatred enables us to keep the higher link with our soul flowing so that we can draw on its infinite capacity for forgiveness. It also opens the door for God to enter our enemies' hearts. Projecting hatred at them will never change them projecting the energy of love towards them, may just create an opening for God to enter into their hearts and awaken the inherent divinity that is also within them. This is the power of love as a spiritual force. This is the power of wiping out hatred and replacing it with forgiveness. This is the power of forgiveness in the end because we can forgive another, but the truth is for that act of asking forgiveness to truly bear fruit, God has to open the other person's heart so it can flow in. All real change ultimately comes from God. We can just try to be his instruments to make that possible, to create opportunities for change, transformation, and growth. To err is human and to forgive is divine. We may not be able to achieve the pure love and forgiveness of Anagarika Munindra or Rabbi Mikhail of Zlotyshev, but all of us can take a further stride towards revealing our divine essence. We can transcend the limits of our petty human behavior Link our heart and our mind to God. We can stretch the boundaries of our humanity so that the light of Divine Spirit will come flooding into us. And in that light, our instinctual need for justice will be washed away and replaced with the grace of forgiveness. Thank you everyone for joining me today. It's been wonderful to be together with you. I hope your mind has been stimulated, your consciousness expanded, and your heart blown wide open. I look forward to sharing this time together with you again soon. In the meanwhile, check out our website, org for all of our podcasts, webinars, courses, and programs. And if you would like to support our work, go to the homepage of the dotelyon website and press on the Donate button in the top right-hand corner. Come visit us the next time you're in Jerusalem. Shalom. Peace be with you all.